Okay, I'm obsessed with Audible because it lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And with female writers and heroines, celebrity narration, multicast productions, Audible has you covered for every type of excitement that you're looking for, including true crime and mystery. And I know all of you love that too. For example, right now, I'm listening to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. That's audible.com slash reality life or text reality life to 500 500. With DoorDash, there's something for everyone. You need a birthday gift? Check. Need to stock up on meals, sides, and drinks that your family loves? Also check. Pet ran out of food again? They've got it. Wellness essentials need a restock? It's a good thing they've got those too. The DoorDash app allows you to customize, substitute, schedule, and track your orders, as well as communicate with your shopper while receiving real-time updates. This has been a huge game changer for myself and for our family. Millions of people trust DoorDash for groceries, pet supplies, gifts, well-being, and more, and you should too. Shop with DoorDash and enjoy big savings. Use code KATECASEY to get 50% off, up to $10 value on $15 minimum subtotal on your next convenience, grocery or retail order. For eligible users only, terms apply. The Amazing Kate Casey. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Hope that you had a great week. And I have a great documentary for you to watch this weekend. It's called We Work. And it is written and directed by Jed Rothstein, and it follows this real estate company run by Adam Newman, who was ultimately forced out of the company. So WeWork is this startup that pioneered the boom of co-working, obviously pre-COVID-19. It was this phenomenon in which freelancers and entrepreneurs paid to spend the workday in a shared office space. So it began as a Brooklyn desk running outfit metastasized into Manhattan's biggest office tenant because they reached this private market valuation of, believe it or not, $47 billion, and that's before the whole thing fell apart in a failed IPO attempt. So the company would sign these long-term leases on office space, subdivide it into smaller work areas, and then rent those out to freelancers or small businesses on a short-term basis. So during the boom times, it's great. It works great. But it carries this obvious risk. What happens if there's another recession and everybody leaves? So you have a lot of things that are at play in this documentary. And it's sort of like the inventor meets fire festival. You have a CEO with a God complex, overeager investors, a CEO's wife who, I'm not kidding you, name drops her cousin Gwyneth Paltrow at a moment's notice. And this company culture where one of their earliest rituals was this event called summer camp, which was this multi-day event where, where you could do water sports, rope courses, and play beer pong. It's amazing. I'm telling you. And it's on Hulu. And even my husband watched the whole thing. And, you know, he never watches anything I like. This episode features an interview with the Academy Award-winning directors Dan Lindsay and TJ Martin of HBO's unbelievable documentary on Tina Turner called Tina. It is a must-watch. Now, Tina Turner is known as the queen of rock and roll, rising to prominence as the front woman of Ike and Tina Turner before launching a successful career as a solo performer. In the 1980s, she launched one of the greatest comebacks in music history. Her 1984 multi-platinum album, Private Dancer, contained her hit song, What's Love Got to Do With It?, which won the Grammy Award for the Record of the Year, and it became her first and only number one on the Billboard Hot 100. And by the way, that happened when she was 44 years old. 
making her the oldest female solo artist to top the Hot 100. She's the first Black artist and first female to cover Rolling Stone, and Rolling Stone ranked her among the 100 greatest artists of all time and the 100 greatest singers of all time. So this is an incredible documentary, very poignant because it retraces her childhood neglect and the experiences of domestic violence, sexual abuse, and suicide attempts that she survived throughout her 16-year marriage to the late ex-husband, Ike Turner. And then it shows how she freed herself from the destructive clutches of Ike, breaking out as a solo artist and exploding to worldwide fame, fulfilling her career-long goal of filling stadiums in mesmerizing concert doc footage. So today, Tina lives in Zurich, Switzerland with her husband. She suffered a stroke in 2013, was diagnosed with intestinal cancer in 2016, and even considered assisted suicide before her husband donated a kidney for transplant surgery in 2017. Now, if you're listening to this next to your beloved, the person that is your partner in life, and I just you just heard me say, that Tina Turner's husband donated his own kidney for transplant. Um, I'm with you because that's a pretty tall hill to climb. I mean, what an incredible love story. I can't say enough about this documentary. I loved it so much. I cried so hard at the end. It's an unbelievable story. And then I spoke to Walt Gear. He's this incredibly successful advertising executive. He's hysterical. And he mentioned to me that he loves the show Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, which I also love. So I asked him to come on the show to convince all of you why you should not be missing the show. Formula One Drive to Survive, the drivers, managers, and team owners in Formula One live life in the fast lane, both on and off the track. And so this docuseries gives you exclusive, intimate access to the people in one of the world's greatest racing competitions. And it reveals the true story of the high-octane sport, which goes beyond the fight to be number one. If you don't know anything about Formula One, it doesn't really matter because it gives you the personal stories behind the racers, the managers, the way the whole industry works. It's fascinating and thrilling at the same time. So here we go. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm fully worshiping at the Church of Tina Turner. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I watched it with my sister and we're like crying our faces off and you just I'm like simply the best like you want to kick the sky. I mean, what an amazing subject. How did this project come to be? Well, uh I can jump on that. Um the it it, it predates us um in terms of us like, you know, this wasn't something we originated. Uh the producers Simon Chin and Jonathan Chin um, who had actually produced our last film, they had gotten, uh, they built a relationship with Tina and her husband, Erwin, via doing some work with the um, musical that was first premiered in London. And um, and so they they developed a relationship and kind of, I think, you know, sold Tina on the idea of, of, of doing a feature doc and the fact that nobody had really done, you know, told their story in that form before. And, um, and so, yeah, they made the deal and then they approached us about directing it. And I think our first question was, why, why us? Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we were a little trepidatious, I guess, at first. Um, we, we had some concerns about two men um, 
Helmantina's story. And right. we also just didn't know, you know, we knew the broad strokes, but we didn't know the real details of her life journey. Um, and uh, and then we also, you know, we were concerned because there had been a movie and there was a book and there was a musical that was going to come out during the process of us making uh, the film. And so, you know, it was like we wanted to make sure we we could say something different and new with her story. How long did this process take from beginning to end? Two and a half years, three years, two and a half years, somewhere around there. That's amazing. And she's a real force of nature. Talk about the astounding success that she found despite the racism, sexism, ageism that she experienced. Well, I don't, you know, how do you, how do you talk about the astounding success? I mean, when anyone references her, they think of, look, as you pointed out at the beginning of this, this interview, you were kicking your feet in the air. Yeah. Church of Tina Turner, right? It's, that's, that's the, the best, probably the best way to, to think about her astounding success is she became a symbol. She became an icon, um, not just because of the, you know, 60 year career she had in music where she's at the pretty much the center of popular music. Um, you know, the, the, the birth of television, the birth of the birth of uh, music television, the birth of MTV um, and the copious amounts of records she performed and the huge legacy she left, you know, creatively on the on the on the. Um, you know, on music culture and on the industry, music industry, but also, as you point out, it's, it's her story. And, and that's the thing that was really, you know, the thing we were probably most drawn to is the, 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 I think the feeling she leaves with people is this, uh, you know, as an incredible performer and through her music is something that's really intangible because you can't disassociate the feeling that she's giving you on stage without, understanding a little bit of the, the story she's had. And that is someone who's endured a tremendous amount of um, pain, um, you know, uh, as she'll say herself, feeling like she never felt love. Um, and she, and she was, you know, um, she was for pretty much in, imprisoned by Ike Turner. And she somehow got out of that and reappropriated her identity and reappropriated her name. And, um, you know, the, the part of the thing that we were really wanting to explore in the film is on the journey of becoming this symbol and this icon um, is to remind people that at the center of that is still uh, someone who's surviving and is making the choice to survive every day. She's still processing that trauma. And unheard of, really, that she would be that successful at age 44. Like that's a her peak moment in a in a an industry that sort of caters to the youth. Um, it, it almost seems like she gets she got better the older she got. I think that I mean what you're kind of touching on, I think, is an is one of the reasons we were so drawn to making the film was I think in our minds originally it was just like, oh yeah, Tina Turner was part of Ike and Tina, and then like she went solo and like, you know. And was successful and it wasn't until we were approached to do this and just you know looking into the the facts of her life so to speak that we realized that it's a you know it was a seven-year 
journey from when she left Ike to when um, What's Love Got to Do With It came out and kind of broke open her solo career. And she was in her mid forties at the time, you know, and there was not, you know, you, you could count on your hand, one hand for sure, maybe even <laughs> less of like the number of uh, mid 40 year old uh, black women in America mm-hmm. that were uh, on MTV and, you know, um, successfully on pop radio. And so her, her, her journey, even after she left Ike is this improbable kind of um, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a saga in its own right. And it was something that we were really drawn to wanting to kind of lean into and tell that story. Cause like, I, we certainly didn't know that there were years that Tina was in Vegas and playing like the cabaret circuit, like right. just trying to get by. Um, and yeah, that, that part of her journey is just, is, is remarkable. I also can't get over the fact that she's never had, she never had vocal or dance training. I mean, isn't that insane? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, <totally. laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. I mean, she'll, you know, even Tina will say it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift, you know, she, you know, she was in choir and church, but I think it's something that she just really loved to do. And, and, um, got an opportunity to refine it, you know, is, as much as, um, again, the, Tina will say this herself, but, you know, she is, is, as much as she does not like to spend time thinking about the, 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 the Ike years, she does admit he was probably one of her greatest teachers, um, just in terms of getting acquainted with um, uh, the, the world of being a live performer and a touring performer. Um, but also Ike, they would play, you know, uh, sometimes four shows a night and they would be rehearsing on their way to the next show. So Tina, um, you know, picked up an amazing worth ethic and, and, and even took that to the next level. I mean, that's one of the things I always forget about. Um, even in the context of after even making the film, the, the thing that's one of the most admirable things about her is, is her work ethic and her energy is crazy. <laughs> I don't know where, where it, comes from and I think we we forget that you know she had a career that spans 60 years and the amount of work it took behind the scenes to stay relevant over the course of the six years where she's continuing to pack stadiums even you know and it's 70 years old um is is mind-boggling one of the things that I really appreciated about how careful you were to tell her story as a survivor was that you pointed out and she pointed out that for a survivor, it's still very, it's, it's still close to them, the pain and the trauma. And you were very careful how to show images and to show how she's been asked questions over and over by the media and how it's still so present to her that the more she even talks about him, that he even comes back into her dreams and it's, it's, it's always there. So how did you come to the decision of the sequences sequence of shots and the clips of interviews of the past? And I know you've said that, you know, she sort of opened up to you on her own, but certainly um, that was something that you probably spent a lot of time together thinking about and, and planning, like we have to address Ike, but we want to do it, in a way that she 
it's her voice and it's her story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, it was, well, that that kind of revelation that now we look back and we're like, why, why would it be a revelation that somebody who suffered such trauma would still be dealing with it, you know, well into their, you know, and she was nearing 80 years old and like, um, and, and told us that talking about that time of her life, um, uh, you know, talking about the abuse or just talking about that time of her life with like can often trigger um, memories for her that come up in nightmares um, that feels real for her as the, the first time it happened. And that was, you know, that was something we couldn't shake. And, um, and, you know, and it made it, it made a lot of Tina's desire to not do as, as much press as she did, you know, like in her later career, it made a lot of that make sense. Um, and I think, you know, for us, in terms of that particular sequence, um, you know, I, I think we're using journalists asking her questions, but really they're stand-ins for us as a public, right? Right. In our public That's so true. Yeah. With her. Um, and, you know, I think there's, there's a part of Tina that she became the symbol of like strength and resilience in a way that maybe we started to think of her as like almost superhuman and that, right. you know, so we just assumed, Oh, she's over this. Like, and so, um, you know, and that, that, that was, yeah, that was just something that was really intriguing to us. This idea of like, in some ways, Tina's public identity became like the story of Tina Turner is a, its own character in our film. And we wanted to kind of tell the story of Tina Turner as we, as the public kind of cemented this identity, but we also wanted to tell the story of like Tina, right? Just Tina Turner, the person that we met when we first went to Zurich and talked to her about how she looks back at her life. And, and, and that was a really uh, hard thing in the edit was to, to find that dance between um, uh, those two storylines. And part of, that dance is exactly like you're saying, how do we respect Tina, the person and not, you know, re-traumatize her in the same way that, um, that, that she had been through other forms of this telling of her story. And also the layers to her story, her relationship with her mother, um, the people that have been part of her management, all of their stories are so interesting and just really weave a much more complicated fabric um, to her story. And I I think that all of the interviews that you got were so great. Uh, I really enjoyed listening to Angela Bassett's perspective playing her and and to see that even after all these years that she holds her with such high regard, like it was such an important figure in her life. Yeah, the, you know, because we took a kind of a particular POV um, with this film, it, that kind of became our North Star for how to also cast it, for lack of better terms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not populated with other musicians and, you know, a ton of A-list celebrities talking about her artistry. It's populated with by either individuals who have, you know, uh, we're either witness to some of these accounts or we're kind of, you know, have an intimate relationship with Tina or um, uh, uh, people who that we've called were kind of scribes, that people who have embodied in some way, shape or form um, her story. So, you know, uh, um, 
Angela Bassett, who played Tina, um, uh, Carl Arrington, who wrote the People magazine article in 81, who was the first time yeah. in public, and Kurt Loder, who wrote I, Tina. The best. And, yeah. <laughs> How great was to see him back on screen. <laughs> um, but the, yeah, I mean, the it's, it's, Again, so much of it is like to preserve the integrity of how do we how do we explore how do we make an authentic representation in this form that is uh, accurate to how Tina sees her own life, and so much of that is is as she points out in the film, it's the POV is very much wrapped up in in pain, and the only thing you know that for us we kind of kind of subverted a little bit is to, it's it, so it didn't feel like it was a film about trauma and pain it was actually a film about the pursuit of love mm. uh, and that's when we started realizing how much at play was it's not just about the the trauma she had, the ripple effect of the, of the of the pain and the trauma she endured from the act days it's also if you dig a little bit deeper the the real uh like foundational pain of feeling abandoned by her her mother and that's mm -hmm. um you know and the film really kind of uh navigates goes on this journey of of you know this pursuit of love and and, and a romantic love and in terms of what does a good healthy relationship look like um pursuit of a familial love and and ultimately at its true foundation is um a pursuit of love for your own narrative some sort of self-love and acceptance of that's actually the life you live. It's heartbreaking by the end of it because it really is her goodbye to everyone. And I wanted you to just kind of give us an update on, um, clearly this love story with her husband is, is immeasurably sweet. It's just so, so great. And they have this really nice life in Zurich and we know that she's had some health issues how is she doing today? And the story about the transplant is just bonkers too. If you could just tell everybody that. Yeah. I mean, I can start out. I mean, the, in terms of the last part of your question, you know, in um, 2016, um, Tina found out that, that both of her kidneys had failed and, um, and uh, as she revealed in her book, she actually considered uh, assisted suicide. And she was like, I've lived a great life. And, um, and, but her husband, uh, Irwin uh, said, I don't, I can't lose you. I don't want to lose you. And and so he went and got tested and it turned out he was uh, a match for her. And so he ended up donating one of his kidneys to Tina. I mean, he quite literally gave a piece of himself to her. Uh, and that was a, such a remarkable story. And we did try to find ways to include it in the film, but it ultimately didn't really fit in the narrative that we were, we were telling. Um, and, you know, as we've said in the past, like you could, you could do a 10 part series on Tina, like right. her, every, every chapter of her life is, is its own movie, including just the last like 10 years of her life. Um, but in terms of her health now, I mean, you know, we've, uh, she's, she's doing well. She's, um, you know, part of like, as you see in the film, she's not really interested in doing press. So she doesn't really want to do mm -hmm. press for this uh, film. Um, and, uh, but, but she's good and she's content. And I mean, you know, she's, 
80 years old. So she's got the same uh, issues that she deals with that, you know, any, anybody does at that age, but, um, but from, yeah, from our understanding and from our conversations with her, she's doing well. I can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed it. This is going to be on my list of like the best things to watch. The, the something you want to watch when you need an uplifting, like little spring in your step. It's masterfully done. And I, you should be so proud of yourselves because it's really just a spectacular film. Wow. Thank you for I, I'm blushing. Your fan, your fan base can't see I'm <laughs> blushing right now. <laughs> Thank you. It's really great. Um, well, listen, tell everybody uh, a little bit about how they could follow you or maybe something, the next project that you're working on. Dan, what are we working on next? <laughs> I mean, the biggest thing actually that we're that we're a part of that's going to come out next is we're doing a series on uh, uh, on nine eleven. Um, oh, okay, at, good. Nat Geo, um, and it's a, a six six episode series, um, and you know we're we're executive producers on that, and uh, it's a really remarkable. I mean, it's still coming together, but it's a really remarkable piece. And then in terms of our next directorial thing, that's still kind of up in the air. And um, we're we we tend to take our time, <laughs> our time. So who knows? That could be uh, a year from now. It could be three years from now. Um, we we really throw a lot of ourselves into our projects. So um, we usually like to take a little bit of a time to kind of uh, uh, recuperate. Um, but uh, yeah. And then in terms of following us, I'm. I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, but I don't really say much. Uh, <laughs> that's about my only social media presence. I don't really engage too much on Twitter, but I, I, I think the gram is probably where I, I spend more time on social media. I don't even know what my handle is. Oh, TJ McKay Martin, I think. I think. I That's think. Not- oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Walt Gear is my new obsession. He's an executive Uh-oh. creative director of experience design for VMLYNR. He amplify, he's known for amplifying stories of black health and raising awareness for health disparities. Adweek named him one of the 50 most important people in marketing, media, and tech. He is yes, hel- hilarious. Welcome to the show. I have to go find Walter Gear now. Where, where can I find him? <laughs> oh, the- I know. <laughs> How are you, Kane? I'm great. And I was so excited because you had mentioned that you love the show. Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, which I also really love. Now, this show so is so about good. living life in the fast lane, both on and off the track. It's a docu-series that gives viewers exclusive intimate access to the people in the world's greatest racing competitions. It reveals the true story of the high-octane sport, which goes beyond the fight to be number one. And there's also a battle for the heart, soul, and direction of what is surprisingly a multi-billion dollar business. So storylines include changes that a team undergoes after an ownership change and the pressures felt to outperform other drivers. I didn't know anything about Formula One racing until I started watching the show. How I did, did not you, either. How did you find had, the show? I had no idea. So it's funny. So I was, I'm, I'm big into motorcycle racing. So I raced motorcycles. Right. That's like that's my hobby. Right. As, as we get older, clearly, I can't run as fast. Right. So why not get on something that can make me move a little faster? But it was literally like one night. It might have been like a Tuesday, Wednesday night. You know how we're all like hoarding, like, you know, like and consuming all this content now that we're all home. And uh, and yeah, I just I saw this Formula One thing. I was like, well, that looks interesting. I'm totally not in the in the race cars. Yeah. Right. Because I just looked at it as like this 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 thing that I just wouldn't be into. And uh, 
watched the first episode and I was hooked. Like, it's so interesting. And I feel like, you know, it's, it's definitely through the three series. It's, 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 uh, it's definitely grown into like a thing, right? It's like, it's like soap opera now, right? Like all the drama. Mm-hmm. And like the first one is about like the visuals and the high impact collisions and the car crashes and you're learning about people. And this last episode now is just all about like the drama and the politics of it all. And it's, it's fucking mind blowing. It is mind blowing. And did you have any idea of the number of people that work on just one team? Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew it was a, it was a full team, but like, you know, again, like I've been big on like MotoGP. So watching that is it's it's somewhat similar, right? It's somewhat similar into like pitting and everything. Like I understand the 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 whole like technicality of what it takes to race and and what it like what everything means, the red flags, yellow flags, meatball flags. Like I race, right? Motorcycles. So I get that. But this whole world is just it's different. What did you think about the 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 fact that this series goes into the personal narratives as well? So we're learning more about not just the race car drivers, but the team owners. How important to that, to the show, do you think the personal narrative is? Does it suck you in and make you more or less interested in the actual racing? You know what it is? I, it's, I find that this season, this third season, is really that is the piece that really drew me in like a great deal because now you're actually understanding the business side, right? Like, like they had one of the teams, I apologize, I forgot. I know the teams by like the colors, right? The black and yellow car, right? right? <laughs> it's like, and those guys are like, those, they're like the underdogs, right? And it's like, understand, like every conversation this guy had was about, we need to make more money. We need to get money so we can actually keep the car going. Now we got, you know, they're meeting with VCs and investors and these investors are saying, great, we'll give you the money. We'll give you $9 million, but like your race car driver has to be from Germany. Like you're getting right. sides of the story that you've never seen before. So that part, just the business side is interesting, but it's like what you're learning and seeing like, is it's all cutthroat. Like from where the money comes down through the owners down all the way down to the drivers. And it's like, you are like every piece in this entire puzzle is like a pawn, like you're a pawn on a chessboard. Like you can be replaced in a heartbeat. And that's what we're seeing in this season. Like drivers being replaced like every other minute, like this guy being promoted to this guy's job and this guy leaving and go to this place because this guy got pulled. It's like, there's like this domino effect of drivers when they move around. Were you surprised at the athleticism, how much they're actually working out despite driving a car and what they, what they need to do to have the most incredible hand-eye coordination? That part I was not, only because racing motorcycles myself, like it's fucking, it's exhausting. Like people think that you just get in one of these things, you get in a vehicle, you just go. Um, like, I can tell you, like, even for myself, when I race, like, every time, like, my friends and family all know when I had a race weekend. Because on Monday morning when I show up in the office, my eyes are, like, bloodshot red. Like, all my, oh, no like, my blood vessels in my eyes burst a lot. And they're bursting because the amount of, like, like you know, I'm, the wow. strain and the focus. And you have to realize, like, when we're out there, even, like, racing motorcycles, like, I'm leaning a motorcycle over. My, like, my knee is on the ground. My elbow is bumping the, the the motorcycle next to me at 140 miles an hour, 130 miles an hour, tipping, going through a turn, right? So, and in, in, in holding it, it, it takes a, a ton of, of, of just like energy to keep this going. And it's no different when you're in a car, right? It's like that, that attention, that focus, and that, like, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. You have some sort of adjacent expertise. Do you think you would be a great racer? 
Absolutely fucking not. Can I tell you? (laughs) Can I tell you? Here's the thing that everyone thinks I'm crazy because I have friends who race cars as well. And I think racing a car is crazy, right? They think racing a motorcycle is crazy. I think racing a motorcycle is easier. Not easier, but I'd say it's less stressful for me because when I crashed, I've crashed multiple times. Like I crashed, I throw the bike and we have leathers on and I'm sliding across the pavement and then onto the grass, right? I have this fear of like, you, when you topple over in a vehicle, like you're, we're in this, this is a team effort, right? Boom, 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 boom. We're like, I'm, I'm scared of like being caught in something, right? And you saw the one, I don't want to kind of give up if anyone hasn't seen it, but like you saw the one explosion, yeah, right? On, on one of the last episodes, like that's scary stuff, right? So, so absolutely not. And plus the way motorcycles turn in and hit the apex and like your braking points, everything is so different, different from a motorcycle to a vehicle. So for anybody who's listening and they're like still on the fence, Formula One Drive to Survive, is this the show for me or not? What's the one thing that you want people to know about why this is something that you will watch at the end of a long day? Because I heard you, you were like, I got to go, I got to relax. And this is my way to relax. You know, for one, I will say that it is it is a show that draws you in because of the the action, right? Like it's why I was telling a friend of mine the other day, like it's why like watching like a a car chasing you know scene for like hours, right? Yeah. Because and then the the quality of what they're shooting and the slow motion and all that, like it's just it's it's phenomenal, it's surreal. They did a beautiful job of the cinematography, but then the layer on top of that is like it's like a soap opera and the drama mm-hmm. that occurs and the people getting fired and people getting replaced is just it's baffling, it's mind blowing, but also to see even people like Lewis Hamilton, who's like so consistent with winning mm-hmm. and the and the and and how these teams trying to undermine him and other teams uh, with the penalties and all the like it's it's crazy. I mean, it is it is like watching a, a, a real life chess game kind of play out. And that's the piece that people don't see when you're just, hey, there's a race car, right. you know, you know, thing happening on TV right now. There's a lot to it. And the billionaire father with the prick of a son who thinks he's like so fantastic. That's a whole other episode you can like dissect. <laughs> of course. I love um, hearing your insight. I had have had such a great time chatting with you on Clubhouse. Indeed. Tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me on most platforms by looking up my my third gears at 3RDGEERS. Third gears, simple as that. Thank you a million times. No, well, thank you, Kate. I appreciate this opportunity. It's been fun. I want to thank my great guests and remind you to click subscribe and leave a five-star review. Join the Facebook group Reality Life with Kate Casey to talk about this episode and upcoming episodes. You can follow me on Twitter at at Kate Casey. I tweet about shows and during shows all week long. You can find me on Instagram at at Kate Casey CA. Every week I put out a must watch list. This week I have eight things on that list. You can go to katecasey.substack.com to get that list every week in your inbox. Otherwise, you can find it on my socials. You can go to Patreon, P A T R E O N.com backslash Kate Casey to get bonus episodes. So last week I did a fantastic bonus episode, almost two hours with Taria about Jen Shaw and racism and a bunch of other things. It's really good. And then you can also find me on Clubhouse. I'm on all the time under at Kate Casey. And I've got a room in Clubhouse called What to Watch with Kate. And every Monday I go through What to Watch this week. And I'm also an admin for Club Bravo. So check me on Clubhouse and 
Make sure you check back next week. Uh, I will have Margaret Josephs from Real Housewives of New Jersey and some incredible other upcoming guests. Hey, grown-ups! The Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast. And those plans are the opposite of quiet. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.